Okay, so uh, we're back. And by we, I mean I, JPB Gerald, and Unstandardized English. Uh, this is a podcast, if you're new to it, and since I have plenty of new Twitter followers, I would say some of you must be new to it. Uh, we talk about uh, language, we talk about race, and increasingly we talk more and more about whiteness because that is something that I found myself writing a lot about. Um, in this second season, we're going to try to kick it up a notch a little bit. Um, what does that mean? Uh, we'll see. Because when I started Italy a year ago, I didn't know where I would get to. And now we're starting season two. And I have much more ambitious plans with it. Um, I'm realizing that although this was just sort of fun and a labor of love at the start, it's still that. Uh, I would much rather use this as an arm of genuine public scholarship. You know, the conversations are pretty informal and uh, designed that way on purpose. Um, and the people I talk to are, it's a political choice. I'm talking, yeah, they're people I know, but they, I prefer to talk to early career or emerging scholars, whether they're in language, race, or something related to that, or they have some insight that I think is valuable on some sort of inequity or oppression or something like that. Um, at some point, yes, it would be nice to bring on the big guns, you know, the the big people in these fields. But honestly, uh, I like talking to uh, people who, although they're probably not really my peers, most of them are, you know, either tenure track or farther along in their studies than I am. Uh, I really like learning from people who uh, I feel like I uh, respect me and, and, and see me as someone valuable to, to engage with. So that sounds a little bit self-congratulatory. What did I do this summer, though? Because uh, if you picked up from the end of season one, when I gave you a two-hour-long recap of every single episode I did, a uh, lot's happened. So that episode came out at the beginning of June, right about when New York City entered phase one of its reopening plan. And uh, although we'll see what happens if they were to open schools up, September, which seems like a bad idea, we have continued to open up to some extent, and the numbers have stayed pretty low. So that's good. I'm not saying I'm in favor of this or that. I'm just saying it's good that people are not sick, because when I uh, ended season one and recorded something like 11 or 12 episodes in a row, uh, you know, hundreds of us were dying every day in New York. It's a really bad situation. And it's now still a terrible situation around this country, which is just garbage fire uh but for me the summer was productive um i started offering classes on whiteness um i called the classes decoding and decentering whiteness um the idea behind them is if you just want to learn about whiteness in theory that's what the books and the articles are for if you want to do substantive change in the streets, that's great. I am not an organizer. I am a little nerd who doesn't know enough about organizing to be telling people how to do it. But I can give people some understanding of whiteness and what they can do about changing policies so that whiteness is decentered in their institution. What does that institution mean? Does that mean school? Does that mean their workplace? Does that mean their community? I don't know. It's up to them. I'm working with some groups right now. I'm giving some shorter presentations. And hopefully, if people are interested in uh, taking the course, they can check it out. It's on my website, jpbgerald.com. Uh, what else did I do? I, I wrote a couple of articles. 
the articles were in various places. I wrote a couple of small things on Medium. I did get one article published that I worked on back in January, which was indeed called Decentering Whiteness in English Language Teaching. Um, and that one sort of took off right around the time that all the protests were taking off. I did not plan it that way. I wrote the article in January, but it just it premiered at the end of May and people wanted to talk about it. So I've been presenting on that, talking about how to change the field that I came from, English language teaching, so that it's not just pushing students towards whiteness, as it has always been. Uh, and I continue to present on that and discuss that with people in the field and it's been getting a positive response. Now I'm not patting myself on the back so much as uh, explaining where I'm coming from as the second season begins. And then all of this nonsense happened with these pandemic pods and I became a part of that discourse. Uh, I, I wrote a tweet on July 15th uh, calling out the hypocrisy of some white parents who in June were buying their anti-racism books and reading Your White Fragility and so forth uh, and putting out lawn signs. And then when it came time to plan for schooling, said, well, I'm just going to put together a small school with my two friends who are also white. And uh, I care about black lives, but not that much. Um, And people argued with it, got a lot of responses. And so I ended up writing an article in the Washington Post with uh, Professor Mira Debs, who works for Yale. Um, and that one led to some other things that was quoted in some other places. I, I, uh, I find this all very strange. I've always wanted people to find what I had to say to be compelling. And I used to try so hard to make it happen. And now that I'm actually just telling the truth, it seems to be going over well. Interesting lesson to be learned there. So I come into this season with a little bit more... Uh, you know, a little bit more eyes on me, um, or this is a podcast, ears, um, and I really want to do something with it. Um, so my lens, again, is language, race, and whiteness, and my goal is is really to push people to reconsider some of the language they use and to change the language such that uh, whiteness is no longer centered and unmentioned Um, in ways that are really damaging to racialized people, and particularly to Black people in the United States. Um, This isn't necessarily a podcast where I talk about Blackness that often, although for a Black person like me, it's going to be part of everything I do, right? Isn't it? Uh, And I hope that these episodes can be interesting to you if you are interested. Oh, that's a redundant thing to say, but I'm not editing it. Uh, If you are interested in language, race, whiteness, and anything related to it. Um, I have a few interesting guests coming up in the next few sessions. For those who don't know, this show premieres every other Tuesday morning. Uh, So today is September 1st. Well, it's going to be released September 1st. I'm recording it on August 10th. Uh, And then the next one will be September 15th and then September 29th, and you can figure it out from there. If you put it on the, you know, alert system, if you sign up for that, it'll give it to you. Otherwise, you can just follow the Twitter feed. There's one, again, there's at JPB Gerald for me, and for this podcast itself, it's just at unstandardized E, because it wouldn't let me have more characters than that. So it's at unstandardized E, which is a little bit weird, but whatever. So tonight... Well, we are going to talk about, I say tonight because it's nighttime when I'm recording this and it might be any time of day when you listen. We're going to talk about cancel culture, uh, which is some nonsense. 
that protects powerful people. I don't mean cancel culture. I mean the culture where cancel culture is called out is protecting the powerful people. And I'm going to talk about it with my friend uh, who I met through my internet pursuance of justice, uh, Dr. Caitlin Green. And we are going to get into a discussion about how we can stop this nonsense where people who have too much power and don't want to see it go away talk about cancel culture and allow themselves to remain protected. So that's what we're going to talk about in this first episode. One more thing I should add. The show now has a Patreon. I think that I should tell you I made a grand total of $31 in the first season. I wasn't really trying to make money, but just I figured I'd put some ads in there, see what happens. And $31 is, you know, the show doesn't cost me that much money, as you can tell from the fact that I don't edit very much. But uh, (laughs) $31 isn't that much. And mostly I don't want to use the money to, to like you know, get rich off of a podcast about language, race, and whiteness. However, I would like to pay for transcriptions, and I would like to upgrade my microphone, um, and I would like to, you know, do a couple of things that would be really cool. So if you can support it, I'm putting the Patreon link in the description of every episode. Uh, Anything you can give would be great, but I understand a lot of people are struggling these days, and the people who listen to this might be students, and therefore I can't necessarily expect that. But if you are actually more senior to me, right? I do not have my doctorate yet. If you have yours, uh, maybe you're an academic and you would like to support an emerging scholar, I will not turn you down if you donate to the Patreon. I will thank the patrons who have donated up to this point, uh, all three of you. (laughs) Uh, The patrons to this point are Dr. Gwen. Thank you, Dr. Gwen. To Nick Ironside, I must thank you as well. And I must thank my fellow podcasters at Lingthusiasm for their support. Anyone else who wants to support will be mentioned in the episode after they give their support. Uh, and I hope anyone else who was able to give is able to do um, does so. So thanks for that. I realized I didn't really introduce myself. That's probably a bad way to go about things in the beginning of a season. Uh, my name is JPB Gerald. As you know, I'm a, a black doctoral student. I live in Queens, New York. Um, I was born and raised in New York, although I've lived in a couple of other places. I started my career teaching English in South Korea for two years. Uh, and then I came back to New York to get my master's because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and I got my master's at the new school. Um, I went to undergrad at Princeton. I don't like to brag, uh, but it's important because it helps me, uh, it helps situate the world that I'm coming from and the type of whiteness that I have uh, immense experience with. I mostly went to private schools growing up and have since come to understand that those were pretty traumatic experiences, which you can listen to some episodes in the first season if you want to hear more about that. And I have some writing about it if you want to read that too. Um, so now I have a son. His name is Ezel. He is, as of this recording, about six months old. Uh, Depends on when you listen to it, how old he will be. Um, And this whole project now, the Decoding and Decentering Whiteness courses, and also this podcast are part of what I'm calling the Ethel Project, because I want to make institutions safer for uh, my son, who is Black. He has some other uh, ethnicities in there. 
but the world is most likely going to see him as black and therefore the world's anti-blackness will have an impact on him unless I do what I can to protect him. So this podcast, uh, all of my scholarship, everything I do um, in my writing and my public engagement is ultimately to make things safer for my son. Now, people have done terrible things and justified it by saying they want to make things safer for their children, particularly people with power. So I want to be clear that just saying you're doing something for your child does not make it okay. But what I'm trying to do is to dismantle the power of whiteness. So that would be good for everybody, not just him. Uh, Yeah, and I have a day job that we don't need to talk about. So I guess that's all you need to know about me. My wife's name is Alyssa. She works in housing. And my dog's name is Neptune, and you may hear him in the background because he whines a lot, as much as I love him. All right, that's enough of an intro. On with episode one of season two. So, we are back. For season two of Unstandardized English, and I always say the word unstandardized wrong the first time I try to say it, but just going to leave it how it is because it's unstandardized, which is a good way to have an excuse to make mistakes. Uh, But today, as I mentioned in the introduction, we are going to talk about cancel culture and why it is bad, and by that I mean the culture around it, not cancel culture itself. And with me to discuss these things is Dr. Caitlin Green. Caitlin, if you want to introduce yourself and tell the people some of the things that you're thinking about, because that's uh, what I've asked you to do. So, Caitlin. All right, thanks. Uh, I'm Caitlin, and I have been dealing with cancel culture because of my involvement in linguistics. Um, So that's what I have my PhD in, that's what I've been writing about. Um, and cancel culture and linguistics met in kind of an uncomfortable, unpleasant way um, in the form of a letter that was signed by over 600 linguists of all levels of professionalism, of, you know, professional level, um, asking that the society, the Linguistic Society of America, stop promoting a particular member as a, an excellent representative of our group. Yeah. Oh, we'll get to that letter. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're going to circle back to it. I think we should go backwards a little bit um, to talk a little bit about cancel culture. So when I think about cancel culture, the phrase, it's, 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 it's hard to look this up in Google because like if you try to search when was the phrase cancel and then a person's name, like you can't Google cancel and then just all of names. It doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> but before it became what we think of it as how we think of it now, originally the word cancel meant specifically meant television, right? Like a TV show, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you know, that did, before it had any political anything, it just meant, you know, TV show canceled, right? Um, mm-hmm. It specifically meant the network or whatever. And at the time it was the network I'm talking about before streaming uh, decided that the show was not going to go on anymore. And the show wanted to continue. That's what canceled is, right? <laughs> it's right. not that it's not just a series finale. It's that the, the network mm-hmm. said you're done, so that means you're canceled, right? And it didn't have any. I mean, what shows got canceled might have had some politics to it, but the word canceled did not mean anything in particular, other than we decided your show is over. Um, 
the best I can tell, um, the first time I heard the phrase cancel and then a person's name was during that weird kind of misguided hashtag cancel Colbert thing like eight years ago or whatever year it was, right? You remember that? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so that was for the for the listeners who are who are young people and don't remember this. Uh, <laughs> back before Colbert was on The Late Show, he had another show where he was basically cosplaying as Bill O'Reilly. Um, and like that was the point, he was making fun of them. And uh, his persona on the show or character or whatever said something racist like that was the point though um now one can debate whether you know ironic you know it, it was i don't think it was quite the same as the sort of hipster racism thing like he actually kind of had a point but one can debate whether it's worthwhile or not etc 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 however the person who started that hashtag which didn't quite work because he got a bigger show afterwards um <laughs> was saying taking it all at face value very literally and so on and so forth it didn't work uh and i think the only reason that it got associated with it with a name is because the show had his name yeah just was his yeah. name on the show but that isn't it wasn't really cancel culture but where i think and again because these things come out of the internet you know there's no single origin so if you look at know your meme it's not it's not going to work um <laughs> was i used to read vulture all the time before they had a paywall. And then that's probably why they put a paywall up because everybody was reading it. Um, and in gotta be, you know, late 2017, early 2018, when, you know, Me Too was really rising. And by that, I mean the Alyssa Milano version, not the original version. Um, you know, their number one article, like the most clicked article they had was simply called Louis CK is canceled. And that's sort of where I think, I don't know that they originated it. I'm sure they didn't because the word existed before that. But that's where I first started to see it, you know, attached to a person, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that is not even just because of what he did, but because his, like, he, his whole brand, and not, I know you, again, I'm not even talking about the subject matter, is that his entire thing was about him right? Like his show, stand up, all that. Like he wasn't, when he, when he was acting, he was playing himself. Like, so like, if you were going to remove him from prominence, it meant you were basically canceling him as a person, right? Right. He, you know, yeah, the show was canceled, but then like the show kind of like would disappear for three years at a time anyway. So like, right. it wasn't one of the But things. also we don't want to hear from him on any media. We don't right. want to see his stand up. We don't right. want him to do little shows at the, the open mics we don't want to see him at all right and so and and so i think because he's he rose to respect and prominence through television the word canceled sort of transferred onto him and mm -hmm. that's where at least where i started to see it proliferate in terms of like meaning we're done with you you know what i'm yeah. saying we're just done with you yeah. right um so that wasn't that long ago, and then here we are now. <laughs> like that's not that really wasn't that long ago, uh, right. and I don't know. At some point, it became I don't know what to call it. Something that instead of being a somewhat earnest but also kind of snarky way of referring to we no longer respect you, celebrity, 
who, who has abused people or done something racist or whatever, or both, uh, it became this sort of reactionary cry from people who had not been removed from prominence at all and <laughs> were trying to proactively defend themselves from doing so. I don't know when that happened, but that's what happened. That's what happened. And discursively, you can draw a direct line. It's been a long time that discourse analysis uh, research on racism has shown that one of the very common reactions to someone who's accused of being racist is to cry censorship. And it, it feels really thematically related to cry cancel culture when you feel like you're being censored for whatever problematic or troubling beliefs you may have uh, put out there. Yeah, I mean, cancel culture is, 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 is definitely just the internet version of saying, don't censor me. That's really what, mm -hmm. and, and in fact, they have often, people who talked about cancel culture have often invoked censorship in the same conversation. Like, it's not just right. an extension of it, they, they say both. Um, yeah. Depending on which medium they're using, they might use censorship, they might use, you know, if they're a writer, they might talk more about censorship, and if they're more of a performer, they might talk more about cancel, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Um, so, uh, now, none of, literally none of this makes any sense, in the sense that none of these, <laughs> none of, none of these people are being censored whatsoever, right? They're just not. It's just, it's just not the case, and they're not, and Part of the issue, I think, is that we know what censorship literally means, and that's not happening. So it's a, they look a little bit sillier talking about censorship because that is a specific thing, right? Like the government steps in and says, you can't say that or whatever, right? Like it's a very specific, right. censorship is specific. Canceling is not specific. So it's easier to push back against, even if it hasn't happened yet. Sure. It's not specific and it's not consistent. Right. Um, but I think the connection comes from the kind of emergence of social media where, you know, when you're censored, yes, it's the government doing it. But when people on social media make enough noise, you might get deplatformed on that social media. Um, and so we've moved the locus of control in our metaphor about you know censorship from a powerful entity like the government or a company to a group of individuals and then it's so convenient to bring in metaphors about like mob rule um, and kind of hordes of people with swords and flaming torches and things like that the um i think a big part of that because like the only time i ever ever get annoyed with any of this i mean i get annoyed with these people saying this but when i ever get annoyed at the masses for doing this it's like it does seem like every week i go on twitter and there's literally a hashtag like celebrity is over party and i think it has something to do with k-pop and i don't really understand what's happening and it doesn't seem to mean anything at all and, I, <laughs> and i'm just like what are you doing so like <laughs> So, yeah. the, you know, when I'm just like, what are, the what are the children doing? The children do so many good things. I don't understand this part. So when <laughs> I see that, I'm just like, I, I think if I'm this prominent person, I see people calling me out for abusive nonsense the same way that me, Justin, JPB, sees people having weird hashtag parties. Like, they think it's mm -hmm. that silliness, right? And how yeah. dare these you know, 
my, you know, faceless people on the internet try to stop me. What you mentioned that was interesting there, though, um, was about deplatforming being, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about cancel culture, they talk about censorship, but deplatforming is like, I think that's actually, you know, it would help us, I think, sometimes if we said that we want to deplatform these people, because that's really what we want in a lot, of, a lot of the time. I mean, you know, whether people go to jail or whatever, it's a whole other conversation, but, but depending on what they do, obviously. Um, but like, you know, stripped of power and prominence and the ability to get their message out there as widely and as easily is really, I think, a lot of what people want and they have had so much ability to say whatever they were or whatever medium they use that that really rankles them yeah and in the case of deplatforming a lot of the time it's the group of people calling for deplatforming who are represented by the platform right like students at a university who don't want someone to come speak at their university that doesn't represent the values of their university they're saying I'm going to have your name university on my diploma for the rest of my life. And I don't want you to represent me by choosing this person to give a platform to. And it's, it's a problem. I spent, I mean, the whole, we could, we could go forever on the college yeah. and the free speech and all of that, um, which is, you know, also mostly nonsense. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's, there's a whole people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really go off on a tangent on the like college free speech thing, but like, because a lot of the time it's not even the school itself bringing a person to campus, it's like some very right, small it's a group. club. It's, yeah, some small group of reactionaries who are trying to rile things up. They know that most of the people on the campus wouldn't be paying attention unless they brought in somebody controversial. And then, well, hello, think. that's cancel culture. Right, exactly. But that's, that's the thing. Anytime somebody gets canceled, it behooves them to scream about it as loudly as they can and do as many social media posts as they can and write articles and op eds about it. I'm being canceled, I'm being censored because it riles people up and it rallies people to their side. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it's almost smart in a way, especially if you do something bad. I'm not just talking about people who are run-of-the-mill odious, but I mean, like, people who are canceled for a specific, you know, act or series of acts, as opposed to just their persona itself, right? Not that that's better or worse, it's just slightly different, you know what I'm saying? Um, it, it's one thing for, to say, we don't want, uh, you know, like, Milo on the campus, and there's a difference between saying we should deplatform someone like Louis C.K. or something after he did certain things, right? Yeah. Um, you know, again, it's not really better or worse. It's just slightly different. Um, sure. And I think that um, I'm not sure what my point was, but <laughs> uh, the, oh, no, it's gone. It's gone. All right. But I'm going to keep trying to get there. And at some point, I will get back to it. I believe I, but, in you. Yeah. The, the point I was trying to make, and I'm just stalling now, is <laughs> that, that, that Deplatforming people. Oh, right. They don't actually usually lose much. S sometimes they do. Like, but it's also, haha. There's the point. If you find out you're going to be canceled financially, it makes a lot of sense to try to get ahead of it and talk about how you're going to be canceled. 
right. especially if you have a book coming out or a TV show coming or something. And then your brand, whether you believe it or not, because I don't know how much mm -hmm. these people actually believe it or not, your brand you becomes, tell. yeah, yeah, you become the, the person who was canceled. And then there's this, I think there's a small number of them, but they, they, they're just really hot for it. The, the like reactionary money comes in. Yeah. You know, oh, I yeah. don't think there's that many of them. I think it's a small number of people who are really, really riled up about canceling or people who've been canceled and they want to support everyone who's been canceled because these people need their money. I don't know. Um, I think it's lucrative. Right. It's, it, you know, it's, it's like, it's a very passionate niche of people who, who love to support the people who did bad things and were told to stop doing bad things because yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a it's a meme. People are all like, you know, it's pretty common to tweet something like, "Please cancel me next. I would really like a book deal." You know. Exactly. Um, and the uh, or or you know to talk about, um, you never get you, you should never get into these internet arguments. But you know, I've ended up in them before. And like like today, someone was saying. So, like Christopher Maloney from SVU mm -hmm. tweeted something about, you know, masks and how you should wear a mask or something like that. Sure. And then my Facebook friend posted that and said, like, what are we, you know, what's it coming to that an actor from Law and Order has more sense than the president about this, right? And yeah. someone jumps in to just, you know, be that way. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> just show up to be like, so the protests were okay, and it's just like, uh, um, no, yeah. There's always somebody who has that to say, right? Yeah. And the concert that just happened, right. there's everybody's retweeting that, going like, oh yeah, but it doesn't matter if you're at the protest, right? Right, and it's like, but they all had masks on at the protest. But anyway, and they're like, and then they're like, well, there were there were several people who didn't have masks on the protest. It's like, first of all, what does several mean? And then you that now you're down there in the dirt fighting with them, and yeah. <laughs> you should, um. And the, the reason I brought this person up is because I pointed out a couple of things that he said that were just incorrect. And, uh, and then I went to his page because I'm just, I was reverting to my childhood on the internet, you know, from like 10 years ago. Uh, and just being like, uh, your entire page is right-wing memes with inaccurate information. Uh, and he, he responds to me and goes, no no one's allowed to disagree with you and i'm like what what alternate universe did i just enter but anyway the point is like they sort of built up this reflexive bubble where you know it, it, it's it's like a, it's like a funhouse mirror like if you go in there you just turn around and you bunch into the same thing all over and over and over again um yeah and to be canceled i mean one of the things that you know the same with the meme like i'd really like to be canceled uh, for a book deal or a TV show or something, mm -hmm. the number of people who've genuinely been canceled from like a height of power, right? Yeah. I'm not talking about people who did bad things and they were kind of on their way out of prominence, so they just <laughs> con continued to be on their way out of prominence, right? right? Like, there are people who, and, I'm, and again, I'm not even talking about the you know, criminality of all of it, because that's, that's again, a different conversation, 
So I'm not saying who has been arrested or who has not been arrested, but I'm saying like, you know, how many of these men, and it's not all men, it's not all men, but like how many of these people have, have really gone from, they were at the top and then now they're gone. Like how, like yeah. how many of them? It's not a lot. Nope. Nope. I can't would think you, of it. We always would you say th- Louis C.K. was on the top or do you think he was on his way out? Well, he was definitely like, you know, he, I don't, I, I think he was done with the show, but I think yeah. that he could have kept putting out stand up on Netflix every six months and made a bunch of money from yeah, it. Yeah, he would have had a special a year at least. Right. And so that's basically what his deal was. He, like his, his most recent special before that was literally just called 2017. He's just like yeah. this, this one from this year. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, honestly, I kind of would have done the same thing. Like, here's the one from this year. Like, what, what are you going to call? It's just it's what I'm talking about now. Right. So I think, you know, but on the other hand, he lost respect, I guess. But now he's out there doing his little shows. He's not doing, I mean, aside from the pandemic is, you know, but you know what I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. So what, I mean, again, I don't, did he lose, he didn't, he lost, he's no longer centered. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, so in that sense, lost that. And like, we can say that like, you know, I'm, I mean, Kevin Spacey pretty much got canceled. Like that, he's, he's, he's. That's he's, true. He had another season to go. <laughs> it was the last season and he's just, yeah. he, he's gone. That's, that's it for him. Although he shows up on YouTube yeah. once a year. I don't know what's going yeah. on with that. Uh, <laughs> You know, but then like most of the people who've been quote unquote canceled, like they weren't really at the peak anymore. And that's like two people. So, you know, um, and again, it's really just spacey because like, again, Louis C.K. is is doing his shows. I mean, again, still aside, working, from, yeah. Yeah, aside from the pandemic again, you know, so yeah. um, like that's had nothing to do with him. But like, <laughs> uh, so I don't know what most of these people are afraid of. The people, and I'm not even talking about celebrities now, but like the run of the mill people who get worried about cancel culture. I always wonder like why they're so worried about it. Because like what we tend to want is the people to have less power, right? Right. Generally, I mean, speaking broadly, you know, because again, not talking about criminality or anything like that. That's a whole thing. Um, But to people to have less power, and accordingly less money, but it's like, none of these people are gonna end up in the poorhouse. So it's, it's really just having less power and influence. And yes, and so however much money they have, that doesn't really affect us. The point is you abused power, we wanna take that away from you so you can't abuse it anymore. Right, uh, so the run of the mill people who are upset about it, and I don't just mean someone who said that their favorite celebrity got in trouble, which is like, mm-hmm. like that, like, although I don't agree, at least I can understand being sad about it fine whatever but i'm talking about people who are just like all this cancel culture in the world man you know and i'm just like you don't have any power so you will not be canceled (laughs) like you 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 can't i have have two thoughts about that um the first is the people in my circle who are upset about cancel culture have been very careful to tie it to less powerful people. So they'll use the phrase chilling effect. This has a chilling effect on younger scholars who might, you know, feel judged about their viewpoints. They might have ideas that they're afraid to voice because what if they get retaliated against? 
What if people mock them or won't work with them because of their, you know, moderate views? And, you know, because universities are such a bastion of leftist thought that, you know, you can't ever have a centrist feeling or else you're going to get yelled down. Um, and then I said I had two thoughts, right? <laughs> Um, oh, the other one is that we live in a country where we think that any one of us could become super powerful and wealthy at any time. And so we're afraid that if powerful people can get canceled, what if one day we become a powerful person and we get canceled? That is an interesting. I, I, I know we're all temporarily embarrassed millionaires, but I didn't think about right. how that was. We're related. all temporarily canceled celebrities as well. Exactly. You know, or future, future canceled <laughs> celebrities. Future canceled celebrities. Right. You know, we're all we're all Michael Scott promising to send kids to college in ten years. Um, mm -hmm. So that first point's interesting because this this like this idea what what centrists have been canceled for being centrists? There are plenty of centrists who. Would you say? I would love to know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I because there are people who have been and and. Again, there are people who are not popular for being centrist, but they certainly haven't been canceled for their centrism. That's mm -hmm. not what canceled means. Like the fact that people on the left are not a fan of people who are centrist is not the same as being canceled. Um, right. And, you know, I think sometimes, like I, I think before I say things in my tweets or whatever in any public thing, like in this podcast, even where I think about what I say because I do have, although I don't know if I were making up some numbers from zero to a hundred, how close I would get to 100 on the leftist scale. Mm -hmm. I, I know that I don't, that my followers can be sometimes more left for me and sometimes less left for me. I'm not really trying to please anybody, but I do understand if I said something that was just way more conservative than they're expecting, I know that I get canceled. They just stop listening to the damn show. So, <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, but like that's that would be, you know, that would that would be okay, I guess, if I really needed to yeah, say Yeah, I mean, this idea just has no room for nuance, right? The idea that you might think twice before saying something because it might not be a good idea is in itself somehow oppressive. Um, it it just feels like, you know, the same the thing about being censored, you know, people who are afraid of being accused of having some racist viewpoint or some other ist viewpoint they're afraid that every thought that comes across their mind won't be welcome if they speak it and that's just the human condition yeah i, I remember when i was trying harder to understand to, like i had a lot of the same views a while ago but I, I wasn't comfortable voicing them not because i was scared that the centrists I was friends with would be mean to me but just because I didn't know what I was talking about so I just try I, I, I was really halting in my speech and I didn't say that much publicly um and also because and and the thing is like I've I think I've experienced not canceling no I don't mean that but like mm -hmm. what I think these people are afraid of which is mm -hmm. in 2015 uh I was you know, I had a lot of the same views, but again, I had I didn't know as much about it. And when I tried to ask questions to people who were farther left than I was, they got really mad at me, and I did, and it, they were really condescending about it. And I was like, "What the fuck, man?" Um, <laughs> but, and 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 I was annoyed. You know, they didn't 
cancel me. It wasn't some group that, like, because I wasn't a prominent person or something like that. But it made it harder. You know, I took more time to come back into those, those same beliefs I already had because of the negative experience I had. But, and while that's, you know, that's bad, the problem there wasn't leftism. The problem was just a bunch of jerky white people. Um, <laughs> so, like, I, I've, I've, you know, automatically assigning bad behavior because of a certain thing is not good, uh, especially if it's like a political belief or something like that. But like when those people were really condescending to me, I assumed at first I was like, man, some people are really like, you have to be totally pure to want for them to want to engage with you. But I realized it's just that they were condescending white people. So like, like that, that's not a leftist thing. That's just a white thing. Um, so, so like, I was like, oh, wait a second. Like, okay, that's okay now. Now I know how to deal with that. Um, right. Well, what this is now. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, okay. That one I can. All right. All right. I'm just like, I just don't have any patience for it now. Instead of just being yeah. like, you know, annoyed. I, I'm just like, all right. But the point is, I think that that sort of experience is what some people who are what more moderate are afraid of. Uh, mm -hmm. And it wasn't fun, but I didn't lose anything besides a couple of hours of annoyance every so often or like in the, in the lead up to the 2016 election, I had a couple of white guys who just really wanted to tell me stuff all the time. And it was just like, it made Facebook exhausting for a year. But yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, you know, eventually I just freaking deleted them. I was like, well, I don't even like you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, like, I don't need you to tell me things. Yeah, you know, like, I don't, why are you talking to me like this? Um, right. The point is, th this is, that's really the worst it's going to be if you are a moderate person and you're not saying, you know, they may, they just may not come to you with like, trusted things you know they may not look to you as someone who's very close to them and that's fine yeah you could just not be close to them if you want to be close right, to them you have to listen deeply to what they're saying and vice versa and so on mm -hmm. um one of my my friend who you know whose name doesn't need to come up who i told you about uh one of his one of his things is he likes to bring up even now uh, how in college I, being much more of like a sort of mainstream Democrat, because I was, you know, 18, um, mm -hmm. and I was not a lot, of, I didn't have a lot of friends who were sort of, again, mainstream Republicans, and I, I just wasn't super interested in it, not because I had some deep moral conviction, but because I just thought that's just what you did. You just didn't really hang out with the Republicans or whatever, right? And he just <laughs> sort of made fun of me because he's like, how could you not cross the aisle, right? Um, like we're actually in Congress. Um, and <laughs> and like we have to write a bill together or something. Um, and, you know, and still, so then now if I ever say anything positive about a celebrity that he you know is either not that far left or whatever like you know he points out like oh I can't believe you said something positive and I'm like oh my god man um the <laughs> the point is is like I think the, a lot of the people the regular people who are worried about the cancel culture stuff I think the problem is they have annoying friends like I think, you know, it's like, I, like I think they're worried about their annoying friends annoying them and I'm just like I think that's that's the problem. 
Like that's yeah, maybe problem. get better friends and then you won't be so scared of it. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, you know, the, it seemed like I wasn't making a point, but the, the point really was like, I think because a lot of the things that I have been, I was more afraid of ever since I've distanced myself from certain people, and this is even before the pandemic when we're all distant, like I realized that once I got away from certain social patterns, uh, things got better in a lot of ways because I didn't have to deal with a lot of nonsense. And you realize that like these things you're afraid of are just because you're around some bad people. Um, right. Yeah. If people are condescending to you, it may not be because of where they are on the political compass. It might be because they're condescending. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And if people, and I think that that sort of condescension, which again happens all over the political spectrum, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to both sides this. I'm just saying you can be condescending and have any political beliefs. Um, oh, yeah. Is what people have experienced, and then they're thinking, well, when I'm a CEO, I will still have annoying friends, and then they're going to try to take me down or whatever they're thinking. Um, right. they're gonna <laughs> screenshot something I texted them six years ago or whatever. <laughs> right. Because I mean, I, 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 we've all, and I think part of it is like some people have made genuine progress in their maturity, right? And then they mm-hmm. think back to when they were less mature and they were saying and doing things that they're not afra- not proud of, which I think is true for most of us. Uh, right. And they're thinking what will happen if I had a bigger platform? Is someone just going to drag up that time I cursed at them in some way or the time I yelled at somebody? Uh, yeah. uh, and what will happen? And I can't pretend that I don't think about these things sometimes myself. Now that Of course, I had a prominent journalist threaten me with that actually a couple weeks ago. So it's real. <laughs> you know, it you is something with, to worry about. With uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he, because he was so upset about the linguistics letter, he, he said like, heaven forbid somebody go back six years and find a bad tweet you did try to cancel you over it. Uh, uh, which I would love to know what tweets from 2014 he might think of mine, it would be, you know, cancel worthy, because I don't even think I was tweeting about much. <laughs> right, yeah, the funny thing is, like, I always think, like, what did I say on Twitter before? So I didn't really, really, really start using it until the fall of 2018. Um, yeah. Before 20, the fall of 2018, because then I actually met with my dean, and, and I was like, look, I'm interested in these topics. Um, it's going to be a couple years before I write dissertation, so I'm, I'm going to just sort of be trying to learn everything I can. And he said, honestly, you're going to find the community if you go searching purposefully on Twitter. And I said, really? Yeah. And he said, yeah. So I did. And that was, so that's when I was in school. And so I started using it much more, you know, productively. But before that, I pretty much only used Twitter. Like, I didn't even have the app on my phone. Like, I didn't even have it. <laughs> Like, I just used it on my literal computer when I was watching a live sporting event or an award show. Like, that's it. Like, when there was a live event going on that a lot of people were talking about. So not even just a regular sports game, but, like, the World Series or, like, the Super Bowl or the Oscars or the Emmys or something like that. Like, that's the only time I used it. Oh, and I guess I did use it, like, literally the night of the election and, like, in 2012 2012 and 16 because it was like a lot of stuff going on and you know a lot of things are updating and so forth i don't know that i said anything useful there might have been me making fun of the condescending people who were being mean to me on some of the primary nights because i was (laughs) annoyed at them um i was annoyed but uh 
I've also you been- You heard it here first, guys. Hashtag JPP Gerald is over party. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the only thing that's annoys me about Twitter is that the only thing that I like more about Facebook is that I can be like, I'm gonna, it's August 10th. What did I do on this day in a previous year? Mm -hmm. And you can just press a button and find out. I can't do that on Twitter. So no. I would like, because I've been going back on Facebook and I, I, because I spent much more time on Facebook in the past, most of the messy shit is over there. So, That's true. so, so <laughs> I, I, I go back in the past on Facebook and I'm like, I'm getting it wrong. That doesn't, that doesn't need to be on there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's nothing like offensive. Like it, it, you're not going to find yeah, out just that a bunch of slurs. It's just like, uh, cause I had like relatives on there. It wasn't like that, but it was just like, Justin, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? in the world was it <laughs> didn't need to be and a lot of it was just sort of me being i'm realizing that mo i used to use because I, I you know i had like 500 friends or whatever 500 to a thousand and and i but i knew all of them and i wasn't really telling them anything i mostly used facebook updates to tell my like to pump myself up like when i was starting to run i'd be like went out there ran this many miles today yeah i'm telling my friends but i'm really telling myself you know? Yeah. Uh, and I would be really strident about it. And I'd be like, if you can't get off the couch, you can get off the couch and stuff like that. Like, it's just like, just <laughs> ridiculous nonsense. Um, and, you know, I don't want people to think it was like any kind of like ableist or something like that, even though I wasn't doing that. Um, it was just for you, just for them. Right, exactly. But out of context, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, this seems all time, but it's not because I think the regular people who are upset about cancel culture, part of it is they're being pushed by like certain media. Um, and part of it is, is that genuine fear that like some of them, I think, and, and the, not the pe people who are just being jerks. I don't have any like sympathy for that, but the people who really have taken steps to mature and improve and they remember like, I don't know, maybe I said some stuff back in the day and I don't want it to come back and get me like, uh, I do have some empathy for that feeling, not like, so therefore we should let every abuser stay in power. Like, it's like, mm, you took it too far there. Um, but like, I understand that fear at least, you know, that anxiety. Yeah. Um, well, and wouldn't that be a much more satisfying and productive conversation to have about, you know, what constitutes having learned and matured? What constitutes having made the appropriate reparations after you have? Uh, been outed as an abuser, you know, after what actions would we feel comfortable allowing you back into the public sphere? That would be a nice thing to talk about instead of this thing that we have right now, which is this fear-mongering idea that, like, anybody could get canceled over one bad tweet. I have, and the thing is, I, I, that conversation has, it's only been had privately, right? That's not the, mm -hmm. because we, we, and there are some people who are just, like, get them. And I'm like, I, I mean, I get it, right? Um, but like, most of the people have been more nuanced and they're like, I just want them not to have power anymore. And then if the people just sort of went along with it um, and then just went away for a while and like a while, not like a month, um, <laughs> then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just went, you know, like went on a vacation for a little while. Um, yeah. Then, you know, I think that, I think things would be they, they, people would move on, um, yeah. and that doesn't and that doesn't mean that that person that that's that that's all the person needs to do, right? That they have done everything to atone or whatever. Um, but I think that that I mean the thing about like restorative justice and all that is that it's not 
it's not one it's not one size fits all that's part of the problem mm -hmm. i think people have is that, that with restorative justice and anything that's not you know vengeance um or you know putting people in, in a cell for 50 years um is it's 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 amorphous right yeah it's it's not very well defined unless you've done all the studying and most people haven't um so when we say that this is appropriate for this act uh and it's going to depend on how the person feels who has been harmed like people don't want to hear that <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah they're just like no 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 no. tell me exactly how many days they have to go away for Right. And then exactly how much money it's going to cost. Like, and like, even the people who, who aren't really in favor of like long prison sentences, you know, a lot of people still want that certainty that like, well, it's going to be yeah. this long. And I get it. I get it. And, you know, yeah. it feels good to be certain. Yes. And I, cause I don't like uncertainty um, at all, which is why I, uh, I uh, struggle with certain aspects at work, but we don't talk about that. But um, <laughs> the, point i'm making is you know the uncertainty i think really is one thing that we don't talk about and it's hard to talk about because there's no answer or no definitive answer um right. the you know if someone harms somebody and the thing is we all have uh which then i say that people are like oh, are you excusing people? i'm not excusing anything people um y you know th there are like there is there has plenty of work has been done on what to do right? right and one of the difficult things i think is when people and i'm getting i'm not even i'm talking about the regular people because i frankly think the conversation about regular people who are concerned about cancel culture is more interesting than the celebrities themselves although we do have to talk about the finger thing um is that a lot of people take a long time to learn you know, certain things. And one of the problems is they don't necessarily realize that they've been harmful until like way after the fact. And part of the problem then is like, no, you should not just go all the way back there and remind people, hey, hey, remember 11 years ago when I was an ass? Why don't you <laughs> listen to me talk about that to you right now? Did you don't, didn't you really want to hear from me? Didn't you want to hear from me now? Now? okay solved that's like nope nope uh because and so then and so i'm saying this i'm talking about people who genuinely like have learned things and like they've done studying they've gotten help whatever the thing is and whatever they're talking about um and so then one of the hard things is like you might learn everything realize you've committed harm and then be like and now you just have to sit with that mm -hmm. and like not do more of it, but still, like you just have to sit with it. You just be like, yep. And there's nothing you can do about it sometimes. Uh, and I think that is hard for people to take uh, because yeah. they're just like, but what can I do? You might be able to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. We've uh, all been in that situation where someone's upset with us and we want to like reach in and keep messing with it and, and fix it, but that's the opposite of what they want. Yeah. It's just like, nope. It's like, but wait, wait, what if I do one more thing? I'll fix it. I'll fix yeah. it. It's like, no, no, you can't, you can't fix it. It's like, but what if, it's like, stop. And I know this is like one of the things, and this, I don't know why I do this to myself, 
But sometimes, what I think I, I was looking for something in my email, but if you search in your email, you get every email you've ever gotten with that word in it. Um, <laughs> and so every so often, if I, I'm searching for something particular, but it's not that specific of a word, I end up looking at emails from like 2010. I'm just like, what was that going on? Um, and I noticed like me just sort of trying to fix things in conversation. <laughs> and I'm just like, just like Justin, what, like I'm looking at it and I want to go back and be like, Justin, stop talking. Stop. Just stop talking. Just stop. Well, it's so hard to resist though. Yeah, no. I mean, it's easier now because I'm just like, all right. I mean, first of all, I'm having these in-depth conversations with people who I don't live with anymore. But like, mm -hmm. so, but like I had to learn it at home too because she looks at me and she's like, just stop. Now I stop um, <laughs> because it's not gonna get it's not gonna get me anywhere. Um, but back then it was all like online, so it was just like I just just had to keep talking. I had no that's all I'm gonna do. So about this letter though, um, about this letter, yeah. So I think that with all of this babbly backdrop that we've now given to cancel culture and why, uh, you know, lay individuals may feel the way that they feel about it. What's interesting about the letter, which I frankly only read the one time. Um, so you have more experience with the letter than I do, because I read it and I'm like, well, this is silly. And then I heard the letter itself is just sort of like pablum. Um, yeah. Like the letter, it's just not interesting. Even yeah. like if it, out of the context of this, it says nothing. Um, yeah. And then I heard who was signing it and I'm like, uh. and then what was interesting was like, there was, there's two sides to the public conversation about it right there's the like little nerdy linguistic side that we've been engaged in mm -hmm. <laughs> and then like there there's other celebrities that are more prominent um who people know because regular people don't really know who's even Pinker. Um, yeah. they, they might have heard of some of the things you said but they don't, they don't really know who he is. um but then there's other more prominent celebrities who signed a thing um who's like there's like there's all these letters going around and all this nonsense like well people writing letters i don't know what's going on um and <laughs> too many letters. yeah too many letters that people just have to sign yeah so anyway uh you got deep into the weeds on that one though i did i did i did <laughs> and well i mean what was it i mean can, for the people can you tell them a little bit about why Steven Pinker is such a problem? Although I suppose if you're listening to this, you probably know already, but yeah. in case you don't. So there's a couple of reasons why Steven Pinker is a problem. Um, he is listed on the Linguistic Society of America's uh, list of uh, honored fellows. Um, and he used to be on their list of media contacts. The LSA has since taken down the list of media contacts, contacts so that um, it essentially answers that request, but um, also everybody else is off of the contacts list. Uh, we've gone back and forth about what, what that really means, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Generally, we've decided that we're not too concerned about it because other academic associations don't even have a media contacts list. Um, so the LSA taking theirs down makes not that much of a difference um, in, in our lives, basically. Um, but it is nice that his name is not on there. Um, the letter itself describes some of the things that he's done that are 
in direct contradiction to the most recent statement that the LSA made about its values in relation to racial justice. Um, but Steven Pinker is a problem beyond that. So um, that's where the, the letter is limited to. And I, I kind of get why the letter authors felt like that was important to limit it to just that statement. Um, but the fact is, Steven Pinker has been writing books about things that are not linguistics for a long time now. Those books have been heavily debunked by experts in the field that they're in. Um, and it just, uh, there's kind of a, a history of Pinker actually standing in the way of good research, harming the professional prospects of younger researchers, uh, and his public messaging routinely contradicting current linguistic findings, um, including sometimes citing a linguist and saying the opposite of what their research shows, which is just like beyond the pale. Um, so that kind of behavior just feels like a bad representation of what linguistics is and who the other members of the Linguistic Society of America are. Um, and so that's kind of what prompted them to go ahead and try to create a document that gives a few examples of the behavior that concern them. Um, so when I first read it, I thought, okay, you know, this, this letter is a little bit clumsily put together. The, the arguments sometimes are not stated the way that I would state them, but I understand what, what this evidence points to, and I agree that it's troubling. Okay, I will sign. Um, I was one of the earliest ones, actually, to sign it, just because I happened to be on Twitter at the right time. Um, and then I, I kind of would go back and look and I kept seeing the names of people I respected showing up on that list, really prominent linguists, people that I talked to who are kind of at my level. Um, and I just kind of started to feel more and more confident that this was the right thing to do. Um, and it didn't take very long, actually before the letter was finalized, before the signatures were vetted or anything, um, several people posted about how awful it was uh, and things kind of fell apart from there. Um, so one of the things that I found really horrifying <laughs> is that um, Pinker and also Jerry Coyne, who's an evo-psych kind of biology guy uh, who has a blog called Why Evolution is True, ask me why that makes me gag later, um, and uh, a, a lot of people who are executive, um, like editors and contributors at Quillette, uh, which I had to learn what that was. That was horrifying too. Um, these people tweeted about the letter, called it a cancellation attempt, called it censorship, um, said it was, you know, boneheaded and, and totally fact-free. And about 15 minutes after the first uh, major Quillette personality posted about it, uh, prank names started showing up on the, on the list. So people started putting in fake names, things like an anagram for the word enlightenment or rude stuff like, you know, Mike Hunt or something like that. Um, just like, you know, joke names. Um, and so then that caused the letter writers to shut down the free entry part and have people send in a Google form and then they'd have to verify that the person really was the person who was sending, uh, who was signing the letter. So they took out all the joke names and everything. But the fact that there were fake names became a major talking point. We should disregard everything in the letter because there's fake names in it. Um, at that point, the letter was submitted. We were just waiting for a response. Um, and 
the op-ed started coming and the big journalism outlets started coming all about the great man who couldn't be canceled. He beat the cancel culture attack, but you know, you're in danger still as a junior person. Um, and it was just one or two a day, big names, um, not just little blogs, you know, and, uh, and with it came a lot of trolls. There was some really horrifying, abusive hate message going, messages going to the um, email address that was set up to sign the letter. Um, I got some trolls, but I lived, I'm still here. Uh, it happens, you know, but uh, it definitely felt like a coordinated effort to discredit the letter before it was even submitted. So that's I mean, the basic story of the letter. Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, I mean, I saw, I mean, I, I didn't, you know, see all of it, but I saw, but I didn't know about the fake name stuff. Um, and I knew there were trolls, mm -hmm. I just didn't know there were fake names. I suppose sort of go hand in hand. Um, yeah. I started noticing that he is what we were talking about earlier is that he sort of leaned into the the like cancel culture aspect of it mm -hmm. um and if anything has probably become more prominent because of it even though he's just out there saying nonsense that isn't really linguistics um yeah. and like i don't know how old he is he's old but the you know this like final stage of career is it's is his being not canceled like that's like yeah. his thing now um right and i uh, uh stay because he is uh finishing up a new book called rationality yeah uh, yeah that's his thing right that's like his yeah his thing is that rationality mm -hmm. is why we're less violent or something um, yeah logic objectivism and enlightenment are kind of his favorite things mm -hmm. Which not not linguistics, um, but <laughs> and I'm not saying like you know you could you, like I'm I, you know I'm a language teacher and I've studied language so I, I talk a lot about a lot of things that aren't language so I'm not saying that you can't talk about things other than that. It's more why is again the point is why is he listed there? But of course, if what he was saying wasn't bad, then him being listed there would be weird but not problematic. Um, right. And you know because one of the things that there, rationality is one of those things that it paints itself into a box where how are you going to argue against rationality, like as a concept? Mm -hmm. you know yeah, what I'm so this is something that I've talked about from my perspective as someone who does social positioning theory analysis. I love social positioning theory, it's very fun. Um, and what it does when you claim the rationality and logic spot is it takes advantage of the false dichotomy we have in our head, that there is uh, one position will be logical and the opposite position will be illogical or emotional. And so if you can jump in and say, I'm the rational one, then the person you're arguing against is just accidentally, not accidentally, but you know, is unwillingly forced into looking like the person who's not rational. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a common, I feel like it's, a, it's, it's, it's basically a straw man argument. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, you don't even have to make the argument once you just say, you know, rationality, you know, um, is, is what is what I'm arguing towards, then you can just pretend that, you know, it's the same way that like, uh, I think of it, like, I had a professor who told me that 
it was very important to provide. She, I mean, she, I wasn't arguing against this. She was just making a point that it's very important to provide, you know, agreed upon. Like, so like, you know, higher level sources for, for certain statistics, which is fine. And that, that, that by itself is fine, right? Yeah. Um, you don't want to be making up numbers. Um, <laughs> but she got really deep in the weeds and like if i would make you know that line of where where do you where do you need to cite something where and where can you just assume people agree with it right um mm -hmm. and that line i think is actually really political you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. and i know it's going to depend on a journal and on a professor's and this is a class so she was trying to teach me for like journal whatever um but like I realized like in, in the paper I was writing, which is, was about race and meritocracy and some other things, um, like I was having to source like basic shit about the existence of racism. And I said to myself, mm -hmm. I mean, she was saying it, she wasn't saying, Justin, I don't believe you. She was saying like, you know, this is gonna go to the public, blah, blah, blah. And she wasn't necessarily wrong. And I realized like, I, I don't wanna try to publish in any place that's gonna make me source the existence of racism. Um, yeah. You know, and, and then the thing is, like, once you get involved in, like, you know, once you get involved in any, I mean, you're talking about racism, but it could be any other kind of oppression. Um, you, you, once you start with numbers, like, I understand why numbers are important, but, like, once you start with numbers, then people can say that that number is wrong, and then it's, it's therefore, there's no racism. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, you know, because it'll be like, I can't remember what I was talking about, but it was something about, like, this percentage of black people said that they had um, experienced racism in their lifetime, right? And uh, it's I can easily see how to argue against that because they're just like, well, they, you know, it's self-reported, and it's not everyone, and it's mm -hmm. and what does it mean? Does it mean severe, et cetera? You can I can easily see how to pick any number apart. You can pick any number apart, and you can disagree with I feel like the words, but um, and it's, it's the way I feel about rationality. I think it's on the side of, it, it, it presents itself basically as a number. It basically thinks it's a number. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, well, look, I don't care what your emotions think, but this is a number. And therefore it is like a column holding up this house and you can't take it down. Um, Facts don't care about your feelings. Right. That's, I feel like one of those guys has written a book called that. Um, there, yeah, for sure. Um, but what's really disturbing is that Steven Pinker is a cognitive scientist, and yet he's continuing to push this false dichotomy between rationality and emotion as if that's how brains work, when, you know, cognitive science says, no, that's not how brains work. It is not. That's just not. It's, 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 it's this, like, 1980s left brain, right brain thing. Um, yeah, totally. Which is not, it's not. Doesn't work the way we think it does. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> that's not like you couldn't you don't just lose half your brain and then you're just all emotion um right. you know especially, as a left-handed person i've had that one thrown at me a lot like oh well then your right brain is dominant what does that mean i mean it was cool when i was in sixth grade but then i was not 11 anymore um mm -hmm. so that stopped being cool um i really did think when i was like 10 that like the right side of my brain controlled the left side of my body and so on. Yeah, you also briefly mentioned Evo Psych, and I, when I was first trying, you know, what's sad about all this shit is that I guess I'm gonna, I guess I'm gonna be cursing more in season two. Sorry. Um, Let's get it. Yeah. Um, You're talking to the right person for that. Yeah. Um, 
is that I, when I was first trying to, to, I don't want to say expand my brain, you can't expand your brain, but expand my horizons, um, because I went to Korea and I was like 21 and I'm teaching English. Mm -hmm. And I, at the first year, I was just like on a party. You know, one of the things that I write about a lot in my, you know, scholarship is about my, the way I felt about being in Korea at the time and, and, and looking back and realizing some of the ways in which I was just sort of benefiting from my American passport and my, you know, language, you know, English. Um, and then some ways that it still was harmful because I was black, but that, but it was different because I wasn't in the United States and all this stuff. But one of the things that happened is that I had a lot of free time on my hands. So, so I, I wrote a lot. I didn't write anything good, but I wrote a lot of things. Um, and the second year I started reading a lot and there was only like two bookstores that sold English books. So there was like a section for the, all you would run into one of the other teachers there because on like a Saturday afternoon, there was nothing to do. So we went and we let him go to the bookstore. Um, and I would remember getting really into like pop psych stuff. Um, because it was, it seems interesting and I hadn't really read it. I didn't study psychology, you know, undergrad, you know, I was an English major. So like, I was really, I wanted to learn more. And so I came across this like Evo psych stuff. I wasn't like into it, like a Jordan, like Jordan Peterson wasn't a thing yet, but like, I wasn't like into it. Um, but I, I was like, oh, this is interesting. I just thought I was learning stuff. And like Gladwell was, was popping around then, you know, right. when he was first had his, like, that's right when Blink came out, like 2008 or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and the thing is, look, this stuff has, if this is a movie, it has high production value, right? You watch it, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's flashy, you know? And it's easy to get sucked into it and, and be like, I'm reading this and uh, I understand why women are like this now. Um, <laughs> and you can see how this stuff can really mess you up, but I was just curious, you know? And yeah. it took me a long time. It takes time advantage of confirmation bias in a huge way. Yeah, exactly. Um, it uses a lot of, this is what I say to people sometimes when they try to, you know, present their opinion of something as, as an incontrovertible fact, that like your opinion is valid. Why don't you just say that it's that though? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because that like, there's nothing wrong with you saying this is what, like, I like this. I prefer yes. this. Um, right. We talk about that with descriptivism and prescriptivism too. Like it's okay to prefer some things. You know, you can want to say GIF versus GIF, that's fine, but you don't need to go find a just-so story about why one is right and one is wrong. It's what I guess, and get into arguments with this at my job, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I don't, if, if someone would just say, this is the way we prefer to do things, well, fine, like, I could disagree with that, but, yeah. you know, that's just this is the style this is you know saying this is what we choose to do is much better to me than saying uh here this is good and this is bad or you know like assigning value to it you know what i'm saying um, right or you know taking these these kind of biological bases for something that you may have noticed in in your life you, you don't always have to go back to biology you don't always have to go back to what the cave people were doing like we don't all have to be on the paleo diet and we don't have to believe all that stuff about like sperm competition. It's not important. <laughs> yeah, we definitely don't have to believe that. I remember the, like keto was, it was yeah, uh, paleo. Um, I remember I was, oh my God, I was on this fitness website for a while. 
Um, and because I've, I, the first marathon I signed up for got canceled in 2012 with the, the hurricane. And so I, they gave, just like the one that's canceled this year in New York, they gave the people the option of the next three years to sign up for. They said you could sign up for 2013, 14, or 15. And at the time, I didn't realize I would keep running. So I was like, I'm signing up for next year. I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. And then I've run like nine marathons, but I didn't know. So, but in 2013, because I didn't, uh, I had raised money for charity to run the marathon. And then the, they gave me entry, but like I didn't get all the perks of raising the money because I wasn't raising money again. So the point is I had to train by myself. And I was scared because I had never run a marathon before. So I joined this fitness website to find a community. And let me tell you how many freaking paleo people that were on this website. I cannot tell you how many people were on this website talking about like, you know, just try to make sure I don't eat any carbs, man. And I'm just like, who are you? But like, and it was just like, and you know, they would like, I, it was a worldwide, it was a website. So they could be anywhere in the world, but there were a fair amount of them in and around New York. And they had a meetup at one point. And I, mean, I just like, like, we would be at the bar and they would be like, well, no, I'm just not going to have any beer because I want to make sure I don't have any carbs. I'm just like, who are you? But uh, <laughs> I'm not saying everybody And it's okay drink. to like the outcome of, you know, being paleo or keto or whatever, but like you don't have to pretend that it comes from some, you know, deep genetic cave person need. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was bizarre. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and but we always and it, but the thing is this this is all very silly but I, it all ties to to you know discrimination and stuff like that because mm-hmm. you know paleo whatever but like uh and keto whatever like these are things people choose to do they're silly they can be silly they can be not silly but that's not the point the point is there's not too far of a line between this and like uh phrenology and you know right. and you know eugenics and like all of these like whenever we're starting to say that people act a certain way because of because their body is a certain way or something like that it's just like uh yeah. you know that, that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a scientific explanation for things right like you know saying that impulse control is located in a certain part of the brain is something that seems to be pretty much true that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that like you can really extrapolate many more than that. It's the extrapolation that's the issue. Um, yeah. And because you can see how you go, it, it's like a hop, skip, and a jump from, well, I think that it was better to do things the way the caveman did things to, well, you see the shape of this man's brain means that he's docile and therefore would prefer to be a slave. You know, right. <laughs> it's just, it's like, well, and I don't recommend that you do this experiment, but if you wanted to, you could go find an Evo psych disciple and ask him enough questions and he will eventually agree that he supports some form of eugenics. You can get there. <laughs> you just keep asking and you're going to get words like incentivize fertility programs or, you know, uh, or P like public service announcements helping explain to people why they shouldn't procreate. You know, you'll get there. You will get to eugenics. I think I was, I mean, I don't real like it's ridiculous, but I think that I spent more time talking to people who had those sort of views than I realized, like, because, <laughs> you know, well, cause like people, we were like 24 or so people said outlandish stuff without, yeah. I don't know that it was their like worldview. They just said outlandish stuff like, 
you know, things would be better if the world's population was whatever percent smaller. And I'm just like, I wonder what they're thinking in 2020. But, um, <laughs> you know, but the, I was like, mm, there's well. the whole Thanos did nothing wrong. Yeah. Subreddit, right? I'm just like, wait, no, it's, and then when I point out, I'm like, but it was genocide. They're like, well, technically you didn't target any group of people. I'm like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> that was on purpose though. Marvel did that on purpose so that he wouldn't, so that he would be, you know, um, someone you could sympathize with. Well, right. They specifically said he's not going to destroy a planet. He's not going to destroy a race. He's going to do an indiscriminate, probabilistic 50%. Right. Although, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but the, so anyway, these people were all talking about things like, well, you know, people, people, you know, who aren't very smart shouldn't be allowed to this, 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 this. And the thing is, these conversations, they don't sound like they're, they're really advocating for like a law. They're just sort of saying stuff. That, but it's interesting to me how many people, like if you really push people, you realize that so much of discussion, and this is not limited to any political group, uh, we do it on the left too, is is based in proving you're not like proving that you're smarter than the others that's right and and then of course what does it mean to be smarter than the others right um you know you every book everyone wants to believe they're right that's not there's nothing wrong with wanting to believe you're right um <laughs> it, it's yeah. it's and, but taking that and extrapolating that to a lesser value with the others because they're again be you want to say you're right and other people are wrong is is fine it's taking that and extrapolating them being wrong to them having less value than you um and what happens to people who have less value than you like what does that actually mean because it's it's, well we have to have to have to address our toxic relationship with the concept of iq yeah because it's it's gross and bad and people on the right of me and people on the left of me have said snarky things about IQ, including myself before I read into it and understood that an IQ test is best described as a measure of how well somebody knows how to take an IQ test. Yeah. I mean, I did it very well on IQ tests when I was like three um, mm-hmm. and it proved that I was very good at taking IQ tests. Um, okay. And I, they never told me what the actual number was because I was three. Uh, and, you know, because I, I mean, like, and the funny thing is when you're three, the test is like, it's like the stuff Trump is bragging about right now, right? Like, it's like, yeah, like move the block around. Yeah, yeah, it's like move the blocks in the right place and all that. But apparently I did it really fast for a three-year-old because that's really, because it's a quotient, right? It's also based yes. on your age, so on. You're compared to other people, yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, and then, you know, I write a lot about this, my experiences in school, but then I'm accepted into this very exclusive school, which is like not only private, but for the gifted. Although when you think about it, the concept of private schools and gifted, is kind of the same thing, right? Like what's a private school that, what's a private school that's not for the gifted? Like, what is it, what does that mean? I mean, right. I know what it means, but like, think about it. Though. Yeah, I used to tutor those kids. I know what it means. <laughs> right, yeah. But, but like, you know, it basically, how are you keeping people out if not, for the gifted, which is another, I mean, I'm just saying, yeah. you're just being- For the gifted who can also pay. Right, there you go, there you go. Um, so, 
I went to this school and it built, it really builds you up because you really think, and they tell you everything about how special you are. And mm -hmm. it means that it really means that a school that I really thought was very nice because it was very warm and sunny and there were a lot of puppets involved. I mean, you read the chapter. Um, <laughs> yeah. There, there were there were a lot of puppets, a lot of puppets. I took my wife back to like the 50th anniversary of the school because it started in 1960. Oh my gosh! And <laughs> there's there's a church across the street where we had our big assemblies, <laughs> and they come in with these like life size puppets, which is really cool. And I'm like, look at these puppets. Oh. She's like, what's happening? Um, <laughs> and I'm like, there's puppets, and she's like, what is happening? Um, and so anyway, the puppets will distract you from the fact that you are being groomed to believe that other people are less than you. Yeah. Um, and Well, that whole in-group messaging, we're really susceptible to it. We love looking for reasons to believe that we're better than other people. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't lead anywhere good. Um, no. And I... You know, I think about all of it, and I think that I also understand why my parents sent me to that place and to the, all the other places I was sent to. And um, this is also a different time in the sense that, like, the reasons for it were convoluted and usually the government's fault, but it actually wasn't all that safe to be in New York around that time um, mm -hmm. when I started going to school. So like I also understood they could afford it, they sent me there. But the, the you know, just the concept, gifted concept of IQ, they, they uh, I, I don't know, I mean, because IQ is the tool and mm -hmm. its origins are terrible, but I don't know, let's say we stop talking about IQ, I don't know how we're gonna get away from people finding a way to think that they're better than other people based on their- Right, we'll invent more, that's right. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, It's IQ, just that right now, what we're looking at is a lot of studies coming out talking about the IQs of people who live in certain countries and the IQs of members of different races, and it's taking a lot for granted, like what, kind of person belongs to what race um, and it's doing really selective measurement and it's not addressing the bias inherent in IQ tests and it's we're coming up with um, results that serve racists. Yeah are they still doing those things like they're still doing those I thought they stopped doing those. Um, there was just one that had to be retracted um, just you know a, a month ago maybe. Oh, that, okay, you know, I heard about that one, yeah. Yeah, that um, one was real bad. <laughs> I just don't want to pay attention to it anymore, I guess. Um, yeah, well, my best friend in high school said to me that racism was wrong. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, he said, you know, it's really wrong that people are, you know, he's talking to me, so he said that, that people treat Black people negatively because of Black, right? Okay. You know, I'm not telling you this for good reasons. Um, and, <laughs> I'm waiting and I'm, for the other shoe to drop. And I'm just like, he's, and he said, and you know why? And I'm just like, like there's, there's, there's no good, like, I don't know what, where, there's no way in retrospect that could have been leading somewhere good, right? <laughs> but there's no way. But he says, you know why? And I'm like, because it's wrong. And I meant yeah. morally wrong. Yeah. Um, and he said, no, because it's, it's not true in the sense that he was saying like, 
racism is is a problem like people shouldn't be treating black people as less than white people because they're not less than white people okay but what he meant was if it was proven that right. they were worthless then yeah <laughs> so it would be fine right right so that so it's like he's like you're okay conditionally as long as the tests say you're okay <laughs> because, right what would it mean um and because when I think like, because that, you know, it's just, it's easy to look at the the numbers and, and really just, you know, I had a brief, like I, I, I had a problem with IQ from, because I was like weird about it. Then I had a brief moment in statistics class because like they always use IQ because it's a, it's mm -hmm. normalized, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at it and I, you know, you know, I was talking to my therapist about it at the time and and just like it all makes me feel a little weird and he's like you know based on the test you probably have a high one but and we talked about all these issues um mm -hmm. and you know you look up things and it's used for for some real nonsense like not yeah. just racism but just just nonsense because they'll, yeah. they'll like there's one thing that i saw that said like average like so they talked about different types of murderers and the types and the IQs that they had, right? right? And they said, people who kill in this way had a higher than average IQ. People who kill in yeah. this way had an average IQ. People who kill in this way had a lower than average IQ, right? And then if you look at it, it turns out that like one of the groups that had a quote unquote lower than average IQ, there's like three people in the group. So like, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and it was it was really just one guy that had a much lower IQ. And it was just like, okay, all right. So, but then because it, you go back to it, and like you're 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 drawing a cause causal line in one direction, when yeah. you know, because then you people take that and they say, oh, this person has a low IQ, but or, or they struggle on the test is really what it means they're yeah. going to kill me like you know like these lines you know they're they're if they they're, do they're going to choose the hammer instead of the fish right hammer. exactly or yeah i think the thing was like people who use poison have higher iqs or something uh -huh. um or no i think it was people who use bombs have higher iqs but it was literally just because uh -huh. the it was literally just because the unabomber had a very high iq that's incredible because he just had like such an off the charts high iq i mean he was a professor right so like yeah all professors did, do yeah. but i mean he really he was a professor um and right and iq is predictive of academic success because it you know it measures a lot of the same things that academic success requires right uh <laughs> most standardized tests predict standardized tests yeah like if you do well on tests and you do well on more tests and then you will do well on other Great. tests and then you can and you make a career out of just taking tests forever i mean i bet some people have um <laughs> but like like there's probably some people who have um there's like those memory competitions i'm sure <laughs> that's i mean yeah i was kind of that kid so like you know my fa i was like I, I played a game called socrates which was a big deal in like 1988 um, computer game and like computers were nothing so it was just sounds and it was just like you had to remember the sounds and the letters and plus and it's like simon says on a computer you know? yeah okay 
and they had like, it, but like they were, the people, the family would come watch me do it for like 20 sounds or something. And I was like, what? And she was like, oh, um, and so people, that was one of those, that, that's why they, I think that's one of the reasons they wanted me to take the test for the school because I can remember things. That's really what it was. So when you get down to it though, like things like IQ, you can see that there's, there's really a few components to what we're, um, you know, basing people's entire value on, right? Because saying a person has a really strong memory, that's not really a value thing. That could just be, it just be, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, saying there's other ways to describe certain things like, you know, certain things move quickly for them or whatever. You could do things that weren't this way, but I don't know that it's possible to avoid the people putting the judgment on it no matter what. If you broke it into three, you know, components that were, as of now, neutral in value that didn't have a judgment to them, people would just start assigning judgments to them. And that's the problem. That's, right. that's what they're looking for. Right. And I don't, I don't think we can do anything about that. So to bring yeah. it back to cancel culture, since we stopped talking about it, um, <laughs> the, the, um, the whole point with all of this is that none of these men, it's not all men because, you know, Joanne Rowling is in there too. Um, yeah. The, they, they're not really, aside from a couple of them being canceled or deplatformed, especially in an internet age where, like, unless they're literally stormfront people, they're not being taken off the internet. So, okay. like, uh, I don't, like, the celebrities themselves, they just don't like, they, they got to a certain point, and they don't like being challenged by the regular by the ants on the ground that's right so then if they can pretend that we're actually very very dangerous then it becomes a very useful tool um and something that i've seen happening a lot is that they will throw around these terms like ad hominem attacks oh, or uh, guilt by association or libel is one that I've been seeing a lot the last few days. And actually, I, I had one of Pinker's fans tell me that what I was doing was libel, which I felt was very funny. Um, and, uh, you know, none of these things have any basis in, in reality, but they sound really scary, you know, ad hominem and, and libel and all that stuff. Um, and it's funny to me that all of the people who are yelling about cancel culture also have all these same terms that they're throwing around together um they it they just seem very much in sync with each other in terms of what words they're using yeah and um the, so the celebrity i mean the, the ad hominem they, they, there's like basically an entire language to to um or a discourse obviously but you know mm. to defending oneself from being criticized for being a jerk yeah. um, sometimes it's worse than jerk but i'm just using that broadly um mm -hmm. and and you know there's when i say in the title of the episode that we need to cancel 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 culture culture i think it's, <laughs> it's that whole system of dialogue that needs to be beaten back like right. once you start to see those you know linguistic markers you know that they're digging in to that hole and that's right i think the best thing is to just like all right let them go 
let them go dig their hole and they can stay over yeah. there because you can't win that argument once they're doing that once once they yeah. once they do that they're trying to drag you into the cancel culture culture and we need right. to stay out of it and yeah. um i think knowing what it is i think is a big thing right knowing what it looks like in terms of the discourse so yeah saying claiming censorship there's this whole thing about white affect right that applies to anybody that's in power the affect the feelings that you feel that you want to tell everybody they're feeling they end up being something like fear i'm afraid to speak out um steven pinker did a whole video called i had to speak out they're trying to cancel me you know he's he's acting like a whistleblower in the face of some kind of horrible um uh, tragedy so he's saying you know i had to speak out i was afraid um that i was going to get canceled um you get the no you're the real racist or no you're the real bigot right joanne rowling she did that she said all of you people who are attacking me you are actually being cruel to lesbians because lesbians are in danger of trans women invading their spaces so how dare you be anti the lesbian community um i get a lot of you're the real racist on twitter too whenever i talk about pinker or other people that that, uh, that i want to criticize yeah yeah, I've gotten that too. It's fun. Yeah, it goes two uh, ways too. There's two types of you're the real racist. There's the you're racist against white people, which I'm like, well, it's our turn, you know, whatever. Um, and then there's also this new one that's coming out. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's really new, but I've just been seeing it, which is um, by trying to be by doing anti-racist work, you're infantilizing black people. You're saying that they can't take care of themselves, or that like they can't just be successful on their own merit you know, you're, you're saying that they don't have it in them and they need you to help them. How dare you? They're better than that. Yeah. I've seen that show up because that McWhorter articles about that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, and it, Thomas Chatterton Williams talks about it too. Yeah. That guy. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, they talk about how it, it talks down to black, you know, like we, mm -hmm. how, how dare they think that we cannot pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think my favorite thing is that McWhorter has that line, right? He's like, how dare you talk down to people by, by being anti-racist? But then he also just reposted an article about how the movie The Help isn't really racist, which is the white savior movie. <laughs> so it's like, you know, which is it? <laughs> yeah um we can talk about those men um it's <laughs> a whole other conversation um and sometimes and it you know sometimes i think that they get away with a lot because being black men they and they having an opinion on race and they're not you know just i don't even know I, just ridiculous people like a Candace Owens or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they can string a sentence together in a way that works. You know, they, um, they get a lot of space. And also people who aren't in space, in the linguistic space, language space, they, they just, if they've heard of them, they just heard black linguists. So they don't know all their nonsense. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to get on the whole thing and I need to stop, uh, but with them, but well, and yeah. he is a good, like, he's been a good linguist. He's written really amazing stuff in the field of linguistics. Right. Yeah. So 
it's uh and so therefore he's getting a lot of bandwidth and he's able to show up basically wherever he wants and that's one of the things that always upsets me is when one of us breaks into a field that doesn't have that many of us in it and then we choose to use that platform to mm -hmm. be terrible to us um and it's uh let's just say it's rather upsetting so you know um not that i depended upon him for an imprimatur of, of just like well you know he must be great for for me to be great but it's just it's 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 disheartening yeah um but anyway so on you know to, to sort of put a pin in this uh lengthy conversation on these <laughs> things um i do think like i do have some empathy for people who were themselves afraid of the not real thing of being canceled i do think as i said i don't know how many hours ago at this point that they might just have crappy friends um and therefore are afraid that like you know and i like like i get this because you're just like man if i blew up you know is someone gonna pull out uh a thing i sent to them like i get that but on the other hand like maybe I'm just not around people who would be petty jerks like that. Like, <laughs> you know, that's not. And if in know. the present day you respond with humility and grace and you show that you've grown, people really are receptive to that. Right. Um, because also just being put on public blast generally only happens when you're also like, I, what I've noticed, and this is one of the things I've thought about the people who've gotten in trouble for doing like abusive or racist or whatever stuff, a lot of the time, unless it's like a video of blackface or something, like or like a literal video, like a lot of the time, the problem isn't just that they did the thing; is that they were also an asshole afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's what gets people more in trouble because the people who were just a jerk and they did something unkind, or and I'm I'm not trying to minimize, but I'm just saying like they did something, and then someone brings it up to them directly, and they're like, "Yeah, that was bad. I should not have done that. Yeah, I really sorry. regret that." Right? <laughs> Generally, it doesn't become a story yeah you know i mean yeah unless they keep doing it and they're just like lying but like you know so i think a lot of the time when people say i'm going to be canceled i'm going to be canceled what's really happening is not only did they may they have done or may they at some point do a bad thing they're also just an asshole yeah and that's the part that they're unaware of that they can't mm -hmm. deal with and that they can't fix because mm -hmm. <laughs> you can probably fix it Right. You can probably fix the thing that you did, maybe, if you learn about it. But if you're still an asshole, you're going to keep being that. And then, yeah, maybe people are going to want to cancel you and maybe you deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's the point I wanted to make. So thanks for coming on here with me. Um, yeah, I'm sure that was really I'll fun. <laughs> bring you back into this, this fold at some point. This is definitely... Anyway. As officially, aside from the one at the end of the last season that was every episode put together, the longest episode I've had, so hopefully people stick around to hear the whole thing when I put it out, but otherwise... You're still here. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in two weeks. Well, I will. She won't. And <laughs> uh, this is Unstandardized English.